As I mentioned at the start of the show, uh, we're launching a new feature today named New Beginnings. Each week, we're going to share with you the story of someone who has started over again, whether it be in their personal life, in the professional world, or any other sphere. We think really by sharing these stories, we can learn from each other's experiences, perhaps learn from each other's mistakes, hopefully be inspired to make a fresh start of our own when it is called for in our own lives. Uh, So let me first put out a call to say that if you think you have an interesting story of a new beginning that you would like to share with us, and if you'd be prepared to talk to us about it on air, we'd love to hear from you. So send me an email to pippah at capetalk.co.za. Just pop the words new beginnings in the subject line and tell us a little bit about the fresh start that you made, what the story was, how it happened, how you started over and how it's gone for you. Uh, And just include, please, your name and contact detail. And we could be phoning you to come on air and tell your story in this feature one week. Now, onto our very first guest to launch the discussion. Uh, It's a man who's asked to be identified by a pseudonym. His full name is known to us at Cape Talk. You will probably understand why he's asked us to use a different name when you hear his story. And I want to start by just issuing a word of caution that this interview will touch on some rather adult themes, including uh, sex and drug addiction. So it might really not be a suitable conversation for listeners I'd say under the age of 16. I think there will be a lot of value for older teenagers to hear the story, but probably under 16, I would say not suitable. So if you have children in the room with you, please either go and listen in another room or just tune out for the next 10 minutes or so if you have young ones in the vicinity who would not, uh, should not be hearing what we're going to be talking about. Um, With that... Let's jump straight into the conversation. And hello to, we're going to call him Dave Smith on the line from Johannesburg. Dave, first of all, uh, welcome to Cape Talk and thank you for joining us to share your story. Hi, Pippa. Thanks very much for having me on the show. Now, from the background you've given us, your story starts out quite regularly. You, you meet a woman, you get married, you have children together, you're leading what appears to be a rather ordinary, some would say a normal life. But all of that changed for you in the year 2000. Tell us what happened. Well, I think for a long time I'd been aware that I wasn't straight and I had been to see a psychotherapist who had actually encouraged me to explore what was really going on and one way or another I landed up having a relationship with a guy and moved out in early 2000 and very quickly got into a big party scene that initially used a lot of drugs in a way that was manageable but after a while um, got completely out of hand. And by 2005 or so, I was using um, what gets called in South Africa Tuk or crystal meth um, a lot. And after three or four years of heavy use of Tuk, I had painted myself into a corner where I couldn't continue and had to essentially make a decision to to reinvent myself, which wasn't something that happened all at once. And it wasn't um, a kind of event, but more like a process of realizing I had to try and be a different person. And so in January of 2009, I started doing an outpatient program at a rehab and started um, participating in a 12-step program and I've managed to stay clean since then. I've now been clean for just over six years. Mm-hmm. And it really has been an opportunity to explore a new beginning and to be a different person. And it's one I'm really grateful for. Um, and I feel like it's 
uh, like I've, I've jettisoned the worst parts of my old self and I've kept the best and I'm very grateful that I've managed to to do this because I think had I not um, the outcomes were going to be dire mm. um, you know mess is a really hectic substance it has a lot of very severe physical effects but beyond the physical stuff is kind of the way it impacts on one as a person as a human being in the world and when I look back and I think about how I used to behave and the stuff I used to get up to I'm really ashamed but I also think I had to go there to get here and it's been quite a ride. <laughs> it certainly sounds like it, Dave. I think it is important for the sake of perhaps younger, maybe teenagers, young adults listening, to tell us and talk to us a bit in more detail about the effects of the drug. Uh, you, you say dire physical effects also an impact on you as a person, how you interacted with the world. Can you elaborate a bit? <clears throat> you know, you start the, using these things um, in a context where it's generally... Like like a laugh, it's a it's a it comes at you often in a very light-hearted way in a social context, and so you're at a club or a bar or a party, and somebody offers you a pole, and you land up using a bit of ecstasy, and you think that's fine, or you know these days I think people start having a little bit of what gets called cat, with, which which is methcatenone, which is kind of a a milder, less developed version of methamphetamine and for me it was it was manageable um i thought at the time and i think i was managing to work and to continue to have a proper relationship with my kids but once i shifted over to using meth almost exclusively um there are very, very serious consequences. So on the, on the physical front, um, you know, I, I never ate, I never slept. Um, the only way I could sleep was by using tranquilizers or sleeping tablets. And so I managed to develop a dependency um, to downers as well as the upper. Um, there are things like, um, you know, you, I developed, which a lot of people develop, is a constant grinding of my teeth. Um, so I snapped off a couple of molars. Um, one of the definite signs of very bad drug issues is bad teeth. Um, grinding your teeth down, my incisors are ground down to stumps. Um, and also um, neurophysiological problems like, you know, um, as a consequence of the teeth grinding, I have my, my lower jaw doesn't align properly, and so I always look like I've sort of got my jaw to one side. But all of that stuff is not as bad, I think, as the emotional and psychological consequences, which are very um, severe. Uh, I think one of the main things is that uh, because substance abuse is cloaked in such shame and guilt, um, I started to isolate myself very much and became very much a loner. Um, one of the aspects of misuse that people don't really talk about very much is um, sexual misconduct. 
um, you know, when you are on meth, you just get so horny. It's kind of unbelievable. And put, put, I put myself in situations that were really dangerous and um, undertook sexual practices that were very high risk. Um, I'm sort of amazed that I've emerged HIV negative. Um, but it was really just a sense of descending into this very bleak, dark, lonely space where uh, you couldn't, I couldn't tell people what was going on with me because I felt so ashamed of it, that it was so um, sordid and so self-inflicted that people who were close to me knew there was a problem, but if anybody ever tried to speak about it to me, I would respond incredibly angrily mm. and push them away and if I had the choice actually sever my contact with them and when I was working um, you know what one of the things I've found myself thinking about a lot is why was I so into the mess what was mm. it that was so appealing about it and I think it's a kind of obsession with the the, the chaos, that kind of very fragmented, very shattered sense of reality. And when you have a consciousness that's so kind of blasted, I couldn't work, I couldn't hold down a job, I couldn't complete a task. And if I was writing a document for, for a client, um, I, inevitably something would go wrong, you know? I, I don't know, but just stuff would happen on my software that doesn't happen when you're sober. So. Mm documents would get corrupted and then you couldn't, I couldn't open them or I would drop keys down grates and block the entrance to venues or, do you know what I mean? Just like stuff would go wrong and... Dave, I mean, you're talking about really hitting uh, rock bottom, which is a term we hear a lot of addicts use, that they had to hit rock bottom before they were able to pick themselves up. For you, what was that point? What was it that made you realize this is as low as I go? I need to do something to turn this around. You know, that's the kind of popular um, version of events that one hits rock bottom and then you make a big decision and you have a road to Damascus experience mm. and there's an epiphany and you, um, you know, turn your life around. It wasn't like that for me. What had happened was essentially my ex-wife had been becoming increasingly perturbed and upset and concerned about what I was exposing our kids to and so eventually at a certain point um, she said to me look you can't see the kids unless you test clean before and after you've spent time with them and I guess in retrospect I could very easily just have said you know legally I have every right to see the kids but which I had actually done the year before but I was so mangled in my thinking that I, I kind of um, agreed to that and so I went to this outpatient program and I, I really started it just with the intention of, of getting everybody off my back. It mm. was very much like let me just try and try and be clean for a little while, you know, like then a few weeks seemed like a long time, like if I could just stay clean for a month or two then I could just get people to back off, I could show a couple of clean tests on a drug test and then I could manage my using much more carefully and on a much more sustainable basis so I was like, OK, 
okay, let me just try and... Because by that point, I was using meth hourly, you know? Sure. Like, I had to have a smoke every hour if I could manage as long as that. So I was like, okay, let me just... I'll use meth uh, one weekend a month, and for the rest, I'll just use cat. But of course, I couldn't ever sustain that, and so I started this program, and, and then kind of, I would say, probably about six weeks in, I can't... I, I had already cleaned up. I had been clean and I, I had started having some realizations about what was going on because I think like a lot of people, I had um, I had this myth that I fed myself, which is that my using doesn't impact on anyone. It's just a private matter between mm. me and myself and like, who are you to come and judge me? Just back off. But I think a little bit of sobriety cleared the fog long enough for me to realize that in fact my using was impacting on everybody around me and so I would say then uh, probably like two months into the program I kind of for the first time thought to myself okay I'm going to try and do this properly and I'm going to try and sustain this and then sort of a year in I thought to myself I'm going to try and see if I can do this for five years. And then when I hit five years, I thought, okay, this is working. <laughs> Let me try and do this for 10 years. So that's where I'm at now. Um, uh, you know, I, because an addict, you know, addiction is really, a, it's an emotional disorder. It's an obsessive compulsive disorder where you think about something all the time and then you do it all the time and so we don't like to say we're going to be clean forever, mm. but I, because it's, you know, it's a just for today thing. Like I'm just going to stay clean today and then tomorrow I'll think about it again. So I don't want to say I'm never going to use again, but I'm not going to use today and probably not tomorrow. That's a good start, Dave. Uh, <laughs> that's a good start. Uh, what is your relationship like with your kids and your ex-wife today? Well, I am a very upfront person, and one of the first things I did when I started the program was I told my kids, and they were very shocked. They were very young at the time. They were 10 and 14, and they were appalled, particularly my 14-year-old son, mm. and I think he was particularly horrified at discovering what the substance was that I had been using. Um, and I've been very open with them about, you know, like for the first year I went to a Narcotics Anonymous meeting every night. And so they knew that if they phoned me between half past seven and nine on an evening, I would be at a meeting. And I can honestly say that I think the relationship I have with them now is better than I could ever have imagined. Like very, 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 very open and very frank. One of the things that happens when, you, when, when you're in recovery is that people don't tell you what they get up to. You know what I mean? Like friends that I used to party with who I know use a lot of substances, if I see them and I say, so are you still partying? They're always like, oh, no, just a little, you know. It's called minimizing. People tend to always minimize their use. And I suspect... My son's now about to turn 21. I think he's quite a party guy, but we don't really discuss that so much. I, I just need to be open with what's going on with me. And if anybody wants to talk about anything, I'm very happy to have that conversation. 
Dave, in summary, I mean, you're, you've spoken a lot about Narcotics Anonymous having worked for you. Uh, your advice for other people in your situation, is that a good uh, first phone call to make? What, what, what advice would you share with others who are listening to this and seeing something of themselves, hearing something of themselves in what you've described? Um, it's very hard to reach out, but actually the whole purpose of, and it's not just Narcotics Anonymous, it's often tied up with other kinds of dependency. So mm. it could be alcohol, it could be sex and love, it could be eating. Um, make a call. Make a call and take that difficult first step of going to a meeting. And once you get to the meeting, you'll discover that the whole program is really oriented towards welcoming newcomers because the idea is that you need to share the message and that one was welcomed and your whole recovery was made possible by people supporting you and you should do the same in return. So it's like a whole pay it forward thing that goes on. But you know, often it's difficult. You know what people should do is they should ask around and find somebody who's in recovery and phone them and go to a meeting with them and that will really help.